If you've got your Bible, I want you to open up and hear God's voice. The first of our readings as I take you towards our passage, and it'll come up in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21. I'm going to read the Old Testament. I'm then going to give you my title. I'm then going to read the New Testament passage. And then I hope to unpack the passage and that you might hear God's voice this morning, speaking to you directly, personally, in a life-changing way. So in Numbers 21 in the Old Testament... They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. And this is after God had rescued Israel from Egypt. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, and we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake. And put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. There's a title for you this morning. The greatest need of the hour. The greatest need of the hour. Got your Bible? You want to turn there with me? John 3, but it will come up on the screen. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Well, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This might be a very familiar passage to some of you, and especially John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world. 
I'm really hoping for three things. This morning, here's the first one, that we would again see the greatest need of the hour. Number two, that it is Jesus and it's only Jesus that meets that greatest need. And number three, that we might respond in faith to the greatest need meter. What is the greatest need of the hour? As you came here this morning, what would you have said to the question, what is your greatest need? What is the greatest need of your hour right now? The answer to the question will be according to various circumstances, wouldn't it? So back in 1907, for example, then U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt said that the greatest need of the hour was to invest in the structure of railroad. A century later, then US, uh, UN Secretary General, 2007, said that the greatest need of the hour was tolerance. For many, the greatest need of the hour is world peace. For some, it's making sure that animals don't get eaten. If you're living in the Ukraine, the greatest need of the hour is peace with Russia so that you can again rebuild your life and have a life of peace. For some living in Russia, the greatest need of the hour is to go back to the glory days of the USSR. In World War II, the greatest need of the hour was for the Allies to defeat Nazi Germany. For many who are living in indigenous communities in Australia, the greatest need of the hour is the removal of shame due to historic injustices. But if we make it a little bit more personal, perhaps the greatest need of the hour for some is authenticity. Maybe a greater health esteem, a respect, a wholeness, a freedom to be what you want. If you are hungry, then your greatest need is food. But the passage I read to you now from John 3 and Numbers 21, this passage puts before us the greatest need of the hour every hour. It's the greatest need regardless of who you are, where you're from, the circumstances that you are under. It is for all people of everywhere regardless of what is happening. And that greatest need, this passage says, can only be met by one person and one person only. And here it is, very simply and very straightforward. The greatest need of the hour is that men, women, and children need to be saved. That's the greatest need of the hour. Jesus Christ, Christmas is about the birth of a, of a Savior. But if you ever look at verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God sent His only begotten Son, the Son of Man, into the world to save it. God sent His Son into the world for one very precise, intentional reason, to save it. You need to be saved. I want to ask five questions that this passage answers. Here's the first one. Why do we need saving? Why do we need saving? 
Now, in the context of John 3, it's a continuation of a discussion between Jesus and a Jewish Pharisee named Nicodemus. And if you look back in John 3, you discover that a Jewish leader is really battling to understand the whole concept of salvation. He's really battling to understand why he needs to be saved. And if you have a look at John chapter 3, verse 10, for example, Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. A well-versed Jewish teacher doesn't understand salvation, why he needs to be saved, and the world doesn't either. And perhaps you sitting here this morning don't understand that either. Here's why we need to be saved. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. People love darkness and evil so they cannot see the light of why they need to be saved. And so what Jesus does is he takes us and he takes Nicodemus, in fact, he takes us back into the Old Testament, back into Numbers chapter 21, and he wants us to understand the very reason why we need to be saved. And there's a little summary for you. If we go back into Numbers 21, Israel has just been rescued from Egypt. God has taken them. He's on the journey. He's taking them to the promised land. And he's going through a wilderness. And the people are complaining. And they're whining. And they're groaning. There's a lack of water. There's a lack of food. They are sick of the manna in the desert that God has provided. God has continually provided for them in the desert. And it's not enough. God has continually provided for them in the desert, and it's not enough. It's not enough that he has rescued them from the slavery of Egypt. There is a prideful discontent. There is an ungrateful heart. There is a selfishness that pervades their whole being. And our text says that God in response sends them snakes... Snakes that bit the people and some of them died. Why do you and I need saving? Because the hearts of all men, women, and children all over the world, regardless of the circumstances, are the same as the Israelites. Our conditions may be different, but our hearts are the same. God has put us into this world. He has given us everything we need to respond in, in trust and gratitude and worship. But humanity is a collective bunch of grumblers and complainers. The grumbles vary, but they are in essence the same as the Israelites in the devil. People don't like what God has to say about sexuality, morality, marriage, and so on. People don't want his authority over their lives. People can't understand why we are to love God more than ourselves. People therefore want to take charge of their own lives, do things the way they want to do them, and they live in rebellion to the God who made them. And that is the plight of humanity. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 53, he says, their fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt in their ways, are vile. There is no one who does good. 
God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there's anyone who understands, anyone who seeks God. But everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Humanity lives in a complaining rebellion to the God of creation. And we need saving because we are under God's judgment for our rebellion. And the snakes that God sent in Numbers 21 were a sign of that judgment. They were evidence of God's wrath. This does not mean today that God is going to send snakes to bite people. Those snakes were a sign of judgment. The snakes were a mere taste of the suffering that people will face in conscious eternal hell if they persist in their rebellion. So have a look at the first part of verse 17 again. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The reason why God did not send His Son to condemn the world is because the world is already under condemnation. It's already under condemnation for its rebellion against the Creator. Why do we need saving? Because we are rebels against our Creator. What salvation does God provide? Question two. We go back into Numbers 21 and verse 7. After the arrival of the snakes, it says this. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. And we've spoken against the Lord. We've spoken against you. Oh, Moses, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. In response to judgment, the people asked Moses to pray for them to take the snakes away. You see, at this point, the Israelites knew there was nothing they could do to remove the judgment. There were not enough snake catchers at hand. They knew it was judgment. They knew only God could take it away. They knew that only God could provide the rescue from the judgment He sent. Only God could provide the rescue from the judgment He sent. And so look, we look at verse 8 and 9 again. So the Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, a snake, put it on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake looked at the bronze snake and they, they lived. God says to Moses, make a, make a snake, make a bronze snake, put it up on a, on a pole and, and lift it up. And the question that we've obviously got to ask is why a snake? Why a bronze snake? The people had to look at the symbol of judgment. They had to look at the symbol of judgment. In other words, as they looked at the bronze snake, they were acknowledging that God's judgment upon them was good and right and just. As they looked at the snake, it was an acknowledgement that God's judgment on the world for its rebellion is just. That's what repentance is. Repentance is agreeing with God that His judgment is good and right. 
And then they were to look at the snake. And they would be saved. Faith is then looking at the provision of salvation that God has provided. So two things were happening. As they looked at the bronze snake, they were acknowledging their guilt. And they were believing the provision that God had made. So hopefully John 3.14 makes a bit more sense. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have an eternal life. So what we're told is that that snake lifted up in the desert, it was a, it was a picture, it was a foreshadowing of, 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 of Jesus, that, that He would be lifted up on a cross, that all who look to Him may have eternal life. You see, in the same way, humanity cannot remove the judgment of God. We can't merely say, sorry, God, and expect Him to forgive us. We can't do away with judgment by trying to do more good works, trying to be better. It is only God that can provide a way of rescue for the judgment that He has sent. And He has done it by sending His Son, Jesus, by lifting Him up on a cross that all who would look to Him would be saved. How many parents are here? Just raise your hand very quickly and put it down. There are lots of parents here. Oh, parents. Is parenting not a... What kind of task? Whew. It's a difficult task, isn't it? Oh, what a task parenting is. We are called as Christian parents to, to train and instruct and bring our kids up in the way of the Lord. But the one thing you can never do with your children is you can never train the sin out of them. Have you noticed that? Is there an amen out there from some parent? Except for maybe Sam this morning. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Rebellion is inbred. Rebellion is inherent in the heart. Even as Christians, we are called to discipline ourselves, and we discipline ourselves, we read the Bible, we pray. But have you noticed, Christian, you cannot train sin out of yourself? Sin is in our children. Sin is in ourselves. It has to be atoned for. Only God can provide the salvation, and He does it through His Son. And did you notice, the Father didn't just send anybody, did He? He sent His one and only begotten Son. He sent the Son who has life within Himself. He sent His Son to become Fully man, fully God, fully man. He sent the one who does not stand under his judgment. He sent the one who never complained, who never grumbled, who never moaned. He sent the one who would never overthrow the will of the Father, which is why Jesus Christ is the only one uniquely qualified to be a substitute judgment for us. And so when we look at that cross again this morning, when we truly look at the cross, we see that the judgment was good and right. That's repentance. And when we look at the cross again, we see that Jesus 
is the one and only way of salvation the Father has provided for us. That's faith. I want you to think about Islam and Christianity for a moment. Have you ever wondered or have you noticed how the followers of Allah, have you noticed how the followers of Allah react when their prophet Muhammad is insulted? Do you know how they react? They call for the death of the insulter. Have you ever noticed how Christians are to react when their Savior is insulted? When Jesus is insulted, Christians are called to pray for the offender and ask God to have mercy on them. Why the difference? You see, Muhammad oppressed and slaughtered those who resisted his message and called his followers to do the same. Jesus died for his enemies and told us to love our enemies. Let me ask you, which religion do you think came from heaven? Why do we need saving? Because we're under God's judgment. What salvation does God provide? He lifted up Jesus on a cross. Our third question, what was the motivation for providing that salvation? In other words, why on earth would God send his beloved son for rebels? Why would he send his son? Why would he send the darling of heaven for sinners, for enemies, for rebels? Why would he send his son for those who deserve his judgment? And you know the answer, don't you? For God so loved the world. This verse is usually taken to sort of display a kind of intensity or quantity of God's love. Like it means God so loved the world. Like it's some sort of huge emotion. But the best way to understand it is simply this way. So, God loved the world in this way. He sent His Son for you. So, God loved the world in this way. He sent His Son for you. The verse is more about the content than the emotion. In other words, how do you know that the Father loves the world? How do you know? Well, look at the Son lifted up. How do you know what the Father's love looks like? Well, look at Jesus lifted up on a cross. How do you know that God loves you? Look at his son lifted up on a cross for you. Love is so easily reduced to some sort of mere emotion and, 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 and sentiment. Hey, and you know, oh, we say to each other, oh, I love you so much. And we can do the most awful things to one another. Love is an active giving of oneself. Let me put it this way love is the active giving of one's best for another, even if they're enemies. Did you hear that? Love is the active giving of one's best, even 
if it's for an enemy. See, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ was lifted up on that pole. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Any teenagers here? I see a few of you. Let me bring you back in here. Teenagers, focus here. How do you know that your parents love you? How would you answer that question? Sarah, you're listening? How would you know? How would you answer the question, Caitlin, Shannon, not really teens, I know, I know. Okay, young adults. How do you know that your parents love you? How would you measure it? How would you measure it? Normally you would say, by how much they? They do for me, right? That's how you measure the love. Well, some teenagers might turn around and say, I know that they love me because I get away with so much. How do you measure the Father's love? Helpless, hopeless, powerless, enemy, under judgment, sinners, and he sent his son to be lifted up on a cross. That's love. It's not that we love God. It's that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Why do we need saving? We're under God's judgment. What salvation does God provide? He lifted up His Son on the cross. What was God's motivation for providing salvation? Love. What does it achieve? What does salvation achieve? And it achieves two things. Watch carefully. For God so loved the world that He gave His own one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, here they come, shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the two things? Salvation achieves a non-perishing and it achieves an eternal life. Now please understand one thing. It's not our faith that achieves salvation. It's Christ's death. It's not our faith. Faith believes that Christ's death was enough so that you will not perish but have eternal life. So put it this way. The death of Christ endures condemnation, so we are not condemned. The death of Christ exhorts God's wrath on our sin. The death of Christ pays the penalty of sin so that the justice of God is satisfied and we're not punished. The death of Christ means the sinner will not perish in hell. But actually, it doesn't just achieve a non-perishing, but it achieves what? Eternal life. And eternal life is not just talking about the duration, like the unending of life, which it is. When it says, whoever believes will not perish and have eternal life, it's talking about the quality of life. It's the life of heaven. 
This life is one of frailty, weakness, change, decay, shame, sin. Eternal life is one of glory, power, imperishability, indestructibility. Christians, on this Christmas day, is that where your eyes are? Are your eyes focused on eternal life? On the quality life of heaven? Is that where your eyes are, Christian? And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're not a believer, this is why we're always talking about Jesus. This is why we're always making such a big deal about Jesus. This is why Christians will get up and give up everything and go and tell people in foreign places about Jesus Christ lifted up on a cross. So as we start to close, what's our response? There's no, there's no neutral ground. There's no neutral place to stand as that snake was lifted up in the desert in Numbers 21, so the cross of Jesus Christ is lifted up before you again today. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. It is condemned. He came to save it. Your response? Well, you could look away from the cross. This morning you could refuse to, 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 to look at the rebellious state of your own heart. I guess you could try to continue pleading the merits of your good life and all the promises you might make to try and do better. You could try and convince yourself that believing in Jesus is, is folly. There'll be no judgment. There'll be no resurrection of the dead. But to refuse to believe will mean that you will perish like the Israelites in the desert. But it will be a death that will last for all eternity in hell. But God so loved you. He sent His one and only Son. That if you would believe you won't perish but you will have eternal life look at the cross look at the cross the death he died there he died for you be assured that the penalty he took was enough for you it doesn't matter how bad you think you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. Whoever repents, whoever acknowledges their guilt, and whoever looks to the provision that God has made, they will be saved. God's love is not measured by your feelings. God's love is measured by the length of a beam. 
where the incarnate God was nailed hands and feet to a cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I want to close with this, Christians. Christians, this Christmas, in light of our baptisms that you've witnessed this morning, in light of this message, can I, Christians, remind us what is our primary work on earth? Can I remind you? Here it comes. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Christians, we are to love the world. We are to love the world in a self-giving, self-sacrificing way. But we don't love the world the way they want to be loved. We love the world in the way they need to be loved. Through the appeal of the gospel. For God so loved the world. No, so, God loved the world in this way. He sent His beautiful, precious, glorious, only begotten Son to become a man, to be lifted on a cross. Christians, do we really understand the need of the hour? Christians, do we understand the greatest need of the hour? Bow your heads with me. And I, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. I'm just going to pray a very simple prayer. And perhaps there is some of you here this morning where you just lift your eyes and you believe in Jesus. Jesus.